Your podcast starts after this quick message from Clear. The average person breathes over 23,000 times a day. That's 23,000 opportunities for allergens and germs to get in your nose and body and wreak havoc. That is, unless you regularly clean your nose and sinuses. So for healthy breathing and a strong body, use Clear Nasal Spray. Clear is a natural nasal spray featuring xylitol, an ingredient clinically proven to work against bacteria and effectively clean, not just rinse, your nose. Clear Nasal Spray quickly alleviates congestion, opens your airway, and ensures your body's natural defenses are strong. In fact, in a recent study, researchers found that xylitol nasal sprays like Clear are just as effective as leading medicated nasal sprays. For better breathing, get Clear today. That's spelled X-L-E-A-R. You can find it at all major retailers, CVS, Rite Aid, Walgreens, Sprouts, Whole Foods, and everywhere else. You're listening to Radio MD. She's a chiropractic physician, lecturer, author, entrepreneur, and talk show host. She's Dr. Suzanne Bennett. It's time now for Wellness for Life Radio. Here's Dr. Suzanne. Oxalates are natural substances found in many foods such as vegetables, beans, grains, fruits, and nuts and seeds. Now, plants actually produce oxalates to work as a natural pesticide, which helps to deter insects and other critters from eating them. Our body has the ability to eliminate oxalates through our kidney bladder system, transporting it in our urine as with any other metabolic waste, but proper gut health and a balanced microbiome are necessary in order for the oxalates to be broken down and excreted from the body. But if you have leaky gut, small intestine bacterial overgrowth, possibly parasites and other inflammatory gut issues, you're more likely to absorb and retain higher amounts of oxalates in your body, causing many symptomatic problems. Now today on Wellness for Life, we have one of the foremost experts on oxalate toxicity, and she believes that reducing oxalate levels can be a key strategy to healing chronic symptoms and illnesses once and for all. Sally K. Norton is a leader, teacher and coach specializes in seminars on the low oxalate diet for pain and functional disorders. Great to have you here on Wellness for Life show. Here, Sally, thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Suzanne. It's fun to be with you. You got it. Now, you mentioned the word oxalate poisoning. Uh, tell us what that is and why haven't people heard much about it? Although I, I did blog about it my last two because I got really excited about knowing I'm going to be interviewing you. I, I really want to uh, the listeners to know, understand what are oxalates and how is it that it can be poisoning us? Right, right. Well, oxalate poisoning is essentially a condition of toxic overwhelm. And it's caused by too much oxalic acid getting into our bodies. Um, sometimes oxalic acid is called oxalate and oxalates essentially are mitochondrial poisons. And they interfere with the essential machinery of life, it messes up the ions and the membranes and the poor little mitochondria, which we rely on for energy to do everything that life needs. And the other problem with oxalate is they accumulate in the body and then you end up with chronic problems. You know, the kidney stone is the classic example and really the only one people are remotely familiar with. But you cannot build a kidney stone without excessive amounts of oxalate in the body. And even doctors get confused about that point. You know, and we do get it from food, as you said, you know, but the body can make some oxalate and that's part of the confusion. It's a smaller part of normal metabolism. And you can get in trouble with over-consuming what we call metabolic precursors to oxalate, which includes things like high-dose vitamin C, 
And even some medications like Lexapro contain oxalate too. Right, right. Let's get into the details of some of the foods because people are going to be surprised. All of these amazing superfoods <laughs> that we talk about, such as spinach and chia seeds and almond butter. I mean, it's, it's uncanny how much oxalates are in these foods. Can you go ahead and give us a little description of, you know, you know what, what, where can we find oxalates and which foods are we talking about specifically? Right. Well, you make some really great examples. Like chia pudding has gotten to be really the thing. And I've talked to so many people who start living on almond butter. And these are all things that are kind of new things. And dark chocolate and beets and spinach, pretty much all the nuts. Bran, so that's like your whole wheat, your whole wheat cereal, your whole wheat bread. Turmeric root, which people think whole turmeric root is the best thing going. You know, some things that are really being promoted is super healthy. Kiwi, black raspberries, raspberries, um, nuts, beans are another big one. Your black beans, your white beans, they're pretty high in oxalate. And of course, a lot of these foods, especially the seeds, are loaded with other toxins as well. Plants have to defend themselves. So they have oxalate, they have lectins, they have phytic acid, they have saponins, and all of them are gut damaging. And yet, we're eating them raw, and we don't really realize how much they might be a problem. Right. I, I mean, I have, you had to hear this one story. I have a patient, uh, he's in the East Coast, a young guy, you know, and uh, he called me because he was having pressure, pressure within his pelvis and within his testicles. And mm. uh, nobody, you know, he didn't understand what that was. I'm, I'm, I'm someone that does a lot of muscle testing over the phone and, and just giving some more insight. And, and I took a look and I thought that maybe oxalates was a problem. And so I asked him to, to um, tally up the number of oxalates. Um, I found a really cool app called OOX. I don't know if you know that app. I don't. No, it's an app called, it's called OOX. And basically it's an app that, you know, talks about what foods have high levels of kidney stones. Well, anyway, I asked him to look it through that app and, and count up all the numbers. I mean, he was eating like 2,200 milligrams of oxalates a day. And a big part of it was his breakfast, his big green drink. Green drinks mm. that we are, you know, everyone, we are into uh, juicing, right? And that juice had so much oxalates. And that was, and once I, I told him to stop that, all of those symptoms, that pressure he felt, the pain he felt t completely disappeared. Isn't that fantastic? And that's a great example because that pelvic pressure and weird pelvic symptoms and genital symptoms are very much classic oxalate overload symptoms. And the green smoothie is probably the poster child of what's going wrong with our health and the main mm -hmm. source of it. That's right. I'm amazed at how many people are doing the green drinks and so on these days. Everybody. It doesn't matter if you're 80. doesn't matter what language you speak. It's popular. Right. Now, I do understand that not everyone will have symptoms from oxalates, but can you go ahead and describe some of the symptoms, not just kidney stone. Now, kidney stone, 8 out of 10 kidney stones, uh, they find that it's made from oxalate uh, crystals, calcium oxalate crystals. But can you describe other symptoms that people might think it might be caused by something else uh, or even just an aging process? What are the, some of the symptoms that you have found with your clients and what people are suffering from if they had oxalate toxicity. Right, right. Well, you have to recognize almost all illnesses start out silently. You don't know you have cancer until it's late stage and all that. So by the time you're having symptoms, you probably have something really serious going on. So keep in mind that 
there is a stage before you get problems where you may already be creating problems. So even if you don't have symptoms, it's still worth being aware of oxalate so you can be aware if you have a really high oxalate diet or not. But the symptoms, because the oxalate is affecting at the cellular level, it's also damaging the gut. So it can, it can involve any part of the body that has cells. It certainly affects the digestive tract. That is almost universal, but there's nothing universal about it because we're all snowflakes and how it expresses. So in each person, it's going to look different. But the urinary tract is a big piece of pelvic symptoms, the nervous system, which includes moods. It even includes clumsiness, uh, bones, muscles, and skin symptoms like fibromyalgia, weird chronic skin problems, inflammation, immune system problems, autoimmune problems, reproductive tract problems. The vascular system can get all up in arms with inflammation and also it affects the lungs and the heart. So, you know, when you're affecting the cells, it could be almost anything, which sounds kind of weird. And what it feels like is low energy, feeling old, having signs of aging, and you think, wait, I'm not old enough for this, aches and pains, arthritis, brain function problems. It can even be a, a piece of a problem with developmental problems like autism, chemical sensitivities, because of course we're absorbing oxalate from foods primarily, and that goes straight to your liver and wears out the glutathione levels in the liver and can lead to chemical sensitivities. And you can see sometimes you'll see cloudy urine, that's crystal urea. You can get irritable bladder and other kind of pelvic symptoms, hypothyroid, all kinds of stuff. I mean, those are so many different variety and different systems. And so these little oxalate crystals get embedded in those tissues and so it can wreak havoc. I'll share with you one of my, um, my own experience when I was in college and this was at UCLA in the early 80s. So this was pretty much 40 years ago. I was not someone that ate very well back then, and I absolutely loved studying with these hello, these kisses, you know, those chocolate kisses? Uh-huh. And I literally would have probably a bag a day. I mean, honestly, I, I, because it kept my brain sharp, the caffeine in it, and we know that there's, you know, feel-good, uh, no transmitter-like um, chemicals in that, right? Um, phenylethylamine right. in chocolate. Well, my gosh, I ended up having literally sausage fingers. I had huge, fat, swollen sausage fingers, joint pain. And and I didn't understand what that was from. And then all of a sudden I thought, uh-oh, you know what? Maybe I'm allergic to this chocolate. So I, I stopped eating the chocolate and sure enough, it went away. I think it wasn't so much the cocoa or my sensitivity to caffeine. I think it was definitely from the oxalates. Yeah. I was a young girl too in my 20s with being a vegan and I was swollen up with fingers and all kinds of parts and pieces hurting and I never understood why. It was the same thing. Isn't it amazing? And years Only later. I was trying to be the healthy one. I was doing it with Swiss chard and beets and stuff and you were doing it with chocolate. You were probably having more fun being sick than I was. <laughs> That's right. But boy, I was not a happy camper. So, I mean, that was one of my first experiences understanding how bad food can could be bad for you or, you know, whatever it is going to be bad for you. Uh, there's no doubt. Now, when we talk about oxalates, um, there's a little confusion about oxalates and then soluble oxalates. Can you please tell the mm-hmm. difference? Yeah. So the parent compound is oxalic acid. And, and this thing ionizes. So that means it has a charge because it drops a positive charge and then it picks up 
it picks up other positive charges. So it runs around with a negative charge. That's the soluble oxalate. And the soluble chelating minerals that it connects to are potassium and sodium. And so it can be bound to some minerals like potassium, sodium, and it's still soluble, which means it will reionize in solution. And of course, your body is a solution. So in your body, those um, potassium ions might drop off, and then you've got this ion of oxalate that's very soluble and that moves around easily it's a tiny molecule and can move in and out of cells and into mitochondria and go willy-nilly where it wants to and it actually follows calcium around in the body and get deep into the cells right deep into the mitochondria and deep into the endoplasmic reticulum because it jumps over those membranes by following the trail of the positive calcium ions and and so it eventually it hooks up with calcium inside the body and it can take calcium out of the blood or out of the cells. And then if that isn't handled well, if, if there's too much of a backlog of releasing through the kidneys, it can start uh, getting stuck on inflamed tissues. And then we see various calcifications in the body or various problem areas where oxalate builds up, like in thyroid glands, it's super popular and so it's like normal to have oxalate in your, but not good, normal, but bad to have oxalate in your thyroid gland. So unfortunately in medicine, we start talking about these oxalate deposits as calcium and calcium kits getting the blame for what oxalate's doing. Basically oxalate kidnaps calcium from your body, the nice nutritional calcium that runs your cells and is so important to everything in your health, kidnaps it and turns it into a criminal. And then we start saying, oh, calcium deposits and start blaming calcium and being afraid of calcium supplements and so on and, and because there's real confusion about the soluble and insoluble thing. But it's important to know that when you're eating oxalate, the plants themselves also provide oxalate either as soluble or insoluble because the plants create crystals from oxalic acid using calcium again and other minerals but primarily it's calcium oxalate crystals they create. Like in trees, they make crystals for their bark. They're brick-shaped, they're hard and glassy, and they're there to protect the tree from the drilling of the insects trying to get into the tree. So those kinds of, those insoluble oxalate crystals, you don't absorb them into your bloodstream. They just scratch up your digestive tract and cause digestive irritation and turn on the immune system and promote inflamed gut. So even the insoluble oxalates that we don't absorb into the blood that don't move into the cells easily are still potentially causing inflammation and gut damage. And of course, once you're destroying your gut, you're in, you're in trouble because you're going to end up with immune problems and and allergies and other all kinds of right. downstream effects. Well, you know, you mentioned about how calcium, um, it follows, oxalates actually follows calcium. And I want to ask you, I, I've not been able to find detail about this, these, any of these studies, but, you know, United States and majority of the world, we all have heart disease issues. And one of the problems is calcification in the arteries, and that is plaquing and calcium on the arteries. Do you have any idea if at all, if you were to control the oxalates and you were to reduce the oxalate uh, poisoning and toxicity level, do you believe that it may actually help with heart disease? I do. I do. I've read at least four researchers who've concluded that oxalate is a cause of atherosclerosis. 
And I experienced that myself when I was doing vitamin C IVs years ago. I didn't know what was wrong with me, and my best advisor was doing vitamin C IVs. And during that period, my veins got harder and harder to put a needle in. They became rolling and stiff. I used to call them grizzle, and they just got worse and worse. And eventually, I actually, a needle broke trying to get into my vein. And I realize now that's because an oxalate crystal formed right there where the needle had been previously from a previous vitamin C IV. And now when they take my blood, they never have rolling veins. They're never tough and grisly. They're fine. So they've clearly gotten better. But all this years of eating oxalate and now years of my body trying to clear oxalate, I've been clearing oxalate now for nearly seven years and it's still going on. So it continues to be in the vascular system as you clean out your thyroid gland or your bones or your tendons. A lot of it has to go back through the vascular system yet again. So you have continual inflammatory stress as long as you have high oxalates in your bloodstream. So I have now developed Raynaud's syndrome, which is an autoimmune condition where cold will trigger spasms in artery muscles and shut down your circulation in your hands or feet. So you, you could reverse, like my vessels are obviously happier, but I'm still left with this sort of um, problem with my circulation. And actually, mm. poor blood flow is a big piece of this problem. People end up with mitochondrial insufficiency, and they end up with circulatory insufficiency, and they end up starving tissues of both oxygen and energy. And then poor cells are struggling with fermentation which is not good because that's what cancer cells do. So you don't want to leave your cells doing fermentation. You want some oxygen. (laughs) You want happier mitochondria. Right, right. That's a great point. You know, microcirculation is so important these days. I actually use uh, for my patients this one machine. If you've if not heard of it, it's called Avacyn. And Avacyn actually uses heat and, and it heats up your hand. And the way it works with vacuum, it's a very interesting technology. It's a, it's a, a class two machine, medical, medical device. And it really helps uh, with microcirculation. I don't want to go into that, but if you ever want to talk more about it, let's chat because I want to help you. If it, and it all, it may be very, very, yeah. very helpful for you. You never know. You yes. may, you, yes, I have my clients doing heat yeah. and we need these, uh, we need these supportive therapies for reversing this condition. It doesn't just instantly go away when you change your diet. So we absolutely need oh, to good. investigate more, find some avenues, do some research. We really need supportive therapies for people who are reversing this condition because the body is happy to clean itself out if you let it. The problem is you have That's to let right. up on the green junk in order to let your body unload. So we That's need right. that. That's a great idea to look into Thank that. you. You mentioned about vitamin C. Now, we all right now during this corona uh, pandemic issue, everyone has just loaded themselves with vitamin C because it is known to build natural killer cells and help ward off viral infections. What is the optimal level that you find will not increase the oxalate content within our body? I mean, how much uh, vitamin C are we talking about when you take it orally? Well, um, there's lots of problems with vitamin C that don't get a lot of discussion. And I could do, we could do a whole 20 minutes on vitamin C, but from an oxalate perspective, anything more than about 250 milligrams a day runs into the possibility of creating additional oxalate in your metabolism because it's just excess. And the body can't really put more vitamin C in all your 
white blood cells and your immune system, it's got, it can fill up very easily. You can easily saturate your body with a fairly small amount of vitamin C. Um, and there's certainly, oxalate's definitely an issue with vitamin C. And people have been known to get in trouble with high vitamin C. Like me and my veins, we're not happy with vitamin C. But, you know, research is, is showing that we're a little bit wrong about antioxidants too, because there is a potential harm caused by vitamin C. As much as we want to saturate our white blood cells with vitamin C, if you really overpitch this, you're going to interfere with the body's own redox metabolism. And that's in the mitochondria where you're controlling how many reduced and how many oxidized ions you have so you can run your electron transport chain properly. And if you interfere with that, the body's own natural balance can get disturbed. And they're showing that supplementing vitamin C could shorten life. And this just isn't getting play because it doesn't sell supplements, but really it's a great concern even beyond the oxalate issue. And certainly if you're concerned about oxalate in the body, it, you know, 100 milligrams a day is, is plenty. Got it. Wow. But 250 is probably safe. And we get a lot of vitamin C. We do get a lot of it from the uh, fruits and vegetables we do eat. So um, you're gonna, you want to add that up too. What is a good level of oxalate in milligrams? How much oxalates should we be um, having per day at least? What's the maximum, do you think? Someone, an average person uh, who are having aches and pains and having, you know, the feeling like you're, you're aging. Yeah, yeah. So if you're at the stage of aches and pains, it's probably because you've had a lot of peanut butter and potatoes, which are two other major foods that people eat a lot of, french fries and potato chips. So you, you may have been habitually on a pretty high diet with close to a thousand a day. And then if you're a green smoothie person, like your guy with the pelvic issues, you know, 2000 is really common. So the researchers think we're only eating about 150 to max 300 a day. But I really think the truth is that people who are trying to eat well are eating a lot more than that. So if you could get down to at least what we think you're eating, that would be a good place to start without traumatizing the body because your, your body has been learning how to sequester and hold on to and deal with this constant inflow of oxalate. And so it's in a certain metabolic mode of trying to hide it and mask it and hold it and, you know, keep it out of harm's way to protect your kidneys and protect your heart and protect your vascular system. It doesn't leave oxalate in the bloodstream for the reasons we've already discussed, right? So it pulls it out of the bloodstream waiting for the kidneys to be ready, but then you keep adding more to the bloodstream. And so that's how accumulation gets going. So, you know, if you're changing from that sequestration metabolism to a releasing metabolism, that's like turning completely around. And you're a big ship and you turn yourself around with a sudden drop in your oxalate intake and it could be like a metabolic trauma, like you're traveling at 50 miles an hour and then you hit a brick wall. Like You, you want to change your diet gradually, which is nice because it makes it easier to do it. You have your time to you think, okay, what are my oxalate foods? Let me start with my spinach smoothie and find something else for breakfast. That would be a great place to start and start moving down to like, down to 300, down to 200, down to 100. And eventually a low oxalate diet is defined as about 50 milligrams a day. But a lot of people will still feel better if they can just get down to like 100, 150, that'll start getting rid of the daily uh, irritation coming in. And if you get way down to a low oxalate diet, that will turn on the body's 
uh, it takes about five days, sometimes longer than that, to build the mechanisms in the cells to start to release the oxalate. And once the kidneys are ready for it, the tissues will start expelling oxalate, which means you're still high in oxalate, even down at the 50 milligrams a day in your diet, Mm. which means there's still room for more symptoms in the future as your body recovers. Right. Well, 50 milligrams is definitely low. And, you know, you have a great resource of a list of oxalates, don't you, Sally? Have you created, can you tell us a little bit about this so that our listeners can, can jump on and grab that? Yeah, yeah. So there's a beginner's guide available at my support page, and that's at sallyknorton.com. And I have lots of information on the site that's a lot more details and ideas and recipes, sample recipes and things you can download for free. There's also a cookbook there. There's If you go in the support area, I have support groups, and they have many advantages because you can meet other people and learn from others and interact with me and others. And and, you know, not be alone. If you feel like you're the only person you know that cares about your oxalate level, you can join us there. Uh, I also have printed education materials available for providers. So I have bookmarks with lists of low oxalate foods that people can take to the restaurant or the grocery store and know which foods to buy. And I have my beginner's guide, which has that list also printed out in a professional way that people can use if they're sharing it with their patients or friends. And they can contact me to, for printed materials by sending me an email at help at sallyknorton.com. Great. Thanks for that. I think it's it's a great resource. You have done so much in putting together this information. There's one food, one vegetable that I have to ask you about because there's controversy. At least I look in different areas. I'm not getting the right information or at least clarity on it. And it's about arugula. Arugula, if that is high in oxalates or low in oxalates. That's very low in oxalate. Thank very you. Low. Thank you. I read yeah. somewhere it was high. I'm thinking that can't be because I've read so many other places and you're confirming <laughs> that. I'm so happy because it's my favorite green. And I tell people use arugula instead of spinach and you can cook arugula just like spinach and it tastes so good. You can make arugula soup, arugula salads, of course, but um, also as a green that you can cook up. And that just, I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> Yeah, it's a cabbage family vegetable, as is watercress and mosh and corn salad and all these interesting um, pot soy. There's lots of little micro cabbage family vegetables. You got to keep in mind, though, cabbage family vegetables, too many of them raw can be hard on the thyroid gland. And if you've already messed up your thyroid gland with oxalates, you don't want to do a lot of them raw. So I like that you're suggesting using them to make soup and cooked greens and things like that. And I have a pretty good recipe in my cookbook for how to make these greens taste delicious. Great, thank you. You know, I don't know if you um, know anyth- anything about fermentation, kimchi fermentation. Well, I'm, I'm pretty much mm-hmm. the kimchi queen. I wrote the book last year uh, <laughs> that was published called The Kimchi Diet. And there is actually a study that looks at the uh, kimchi fermentation and the oxalate level reduction in a Swiss chard. And they found that that yeah. by, by fermenting, um, without the change of calcium levels in the food, it actually reduced the oxalate levels by at least about 30%, I believe, and uh, maybe even more yeah. than that, a little over 30, 35%. So that's exciting. Well, you know, it's interesting science, but from a practical standpoint, 
standard fermented vegetables are cabbage and related vegetables that are not particularly radishes and even the small amounts of carrots go into the usual fermented vegetable mixes and they are already low in oxalate so they're they're safe in terms of oxalate but foods that are really high in oxalate like swiss chard at a thousand milligrams per hundred grams if you take away a third of that it's still ridiculously high it's oh, like such a good point point. and same with poi which is used in hawaii and a lot of these high oxalate foods where they've done fermentation tests Oh, yay, it comes down 30%, but it's 30% from stratospheric to almost stratospheric, and it's still real too high. So we don't, even fermentation doesn't save us. Cooking doesn't change things really at all, unless you can leach out the soluble oxalate, which happens when you boil broccoli. So you need to boil your broccoli, and then you can reduce it by a third by doing that. Uh, um, such so a great some point. Some of those vegetables are a little medium. Yeah. So... The scientists get excited. Oh, yay! We've but the truth is, you have to sit down and think about how much is too much oxalate, and it's still too much. What's exciting to me is that they are thinking that possibly the lactic acid bacteria, the bacteria has its own ability to break the oxalates down. Oh, God, I wish I could talk to you more, but we've got we're running out of time, Sally. So again, I want to just share with our listeners the website. It's Sally K. Norton, and that's N-O-R-T-O-N.com. Correct, Sally? That's right. Awesome. And, you know, you also, I see a great deal also um, information where they can reach you through Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. There's so much information available. I love a lot of your YouTube videos uh, that give great, great um, insight about this, these oxalate uh, toxicity, oxalate poison condition. Thanks again, Sally, for being with us today. Thank you so much for your interest in the topic. I look forward to next time. Oh, you vet, you vet. Ah, such great information. I know you've learned so much from this, from Sally, and that this can truly uh, change your life. You know, go, go and take a look at our resources on our website and figure out how much are you eating and uh, start reducing the level little by little, as she says. And if you haven't been, you know, um, if you just started listening to my, my show here, do subscribe so that we can continue to do our very best here on Wellness for Life. And if you need help in digging deeper with your health issues, I work with people globally through phone and Skype consultations. My contact info is available on my website, drsuzanne.com. And then, of course, until next time, go out there and live your best life today, full of energy, enthusiasm, and ultimate health and wellness. This is Dr. Suzanne sharing natural strategies on the Wellness for Life show right here on Radio MD. Stay well.